And it just felt like this year in particular, like having some time alone in the woods to think a lot, just like seemed extra important. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back. I am especially excited today to welcome my good friend, Alan Adams, back to A New Angle. 2020 was a hard year for pretty much everyone. Alan decided to make 2020 especially challenging on a singular dimension, vertical feet traveled. In honor of staring down his 40th birthday, Alan set out to climb 2 million vertical feet on his skis and bike in a single calendar year. Not only did he do that, but along the way, he upped the goal, set a record, and a whole lot more. So Alan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for putting down the skis long enough to visit with us for a little bit today. Thanks, Justin. Happy to be here. I got to ask, like, how are you feeling? Like, are you just sleeping 10 hours a day and like eating as much as you want? Like what, what's your body feel like? Oh, geez. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of funny. It feels, it took a few, about a month to come down from the whole thing. Like, sure. Like, you know, the first I pictured like, Oh, the week, week after I'm just going to like sleep a bunch and recover and rest. And then actually like the, within a few days, I was like buzzing if I took a chill day. So I ended up, I think the week after I still did like 50K or something just because I wasn't ready to like slow down. Um, but then I slowly sort of like, you know, railed things down and actually took a first day off like 10 days into the new year. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like I feel pretty darn normal, <laughs> which, uh, I guess surprises me, you know, like I, I don't know, like, um, I feel like mentally almost like a little more like challenged than the physical side. Cause it's like sort of had this big thing that took a bunch of time and now it's like, Oh, that's not there. And I have plenty of other things to fill the time and plenty of things I had to catch up on, but it definitely sort of left this little bit of a mental void. That's probably been the biggest adjustment more one, to be honest. Awesome. Well, I'm, we'll get into the mental aspects. I'm sure today that they're especially interesting to me, but before we get into that, just give us like, you know, a quick introduction to how this project came to be. Like wh- what was the conception? Why do it? Uh, how did you, th- you know, at what point in sort of your deliberations, did you feel like it might be something that's achievable? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like developed literally on the fly. Like I was out ski touring around Cook on New Year's, um, with Chelsea and our friends, Michaela and Joe. And, uh, I was just thinking like, man, it's my birthday year. And I've always had this weird thing with birthdays being like, Oh, dreading the getting older thing. And like, haven't ticked certain life achievements off the list. And I just like had, I'm like, yeah, I want to do something sort of crazy. And I was like, man, 40, I like had in my head, like my two favorite sports, biking, skiing times two, that's four, I don't know, zero, two million, like somehow the math just stupidly made sense. And I was like, why don't I see if I can do this? Like Greg Hill did this 2 million thing and he's a pro athlete. That's cool. But like kind of regular, regular Joe, you know, like pull this off with like a job and, you know, I don't have family obligations really. I mean, it's just me, Chelsea and her dog, <laughs> you know, we don't have like kids or anything. So it just seemed like a good time to like go for something big because 
who knows how life shifts and changes and jumps around. And it seemed like the right time. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just sort of like this crazy idea. And I like ran it by them when we were out there and they're like, they all sort of looked at me like, uh, that's a lot. Are you sure? <laughs> and Chelsea just like laughed, like, <laughs> you know, and then just, yeah, it just sort of snowballed, um, pun not intended. And just turned into this crazy project that was like super fun, really rewarding and just, yeah. And it grew as I went on, <laughs> it changed, it morphed, but, uh, yeah, just so much fun. <laughs> so you mentioned Greg Hill, professional athlete that, that did a version of this in the past. And you, know, you have been a professional athlete in your past, professional cyclist. So you've been able to sort of orient your life completely around a singular pursuit. But you know now that's not so much the case. I mean, you mentioned your, your constraints are maybe a little less than folks with kids or, you know, a a job where you have to clock in every day. Um, But talk about how, like, when I think of that from my perspective, I mean, I certainly have doubts if I could accomplish something like that physically. But before I can even get to that question in my mind, like, I can't even get to a point where I could think about orienting my life around it to the point where the physical challenge would even be a, a, a question. So talk about how you kind of approach orienting your life around it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, the, the fortunate thing is where I live, obviously Bozeman, you know, the access is right here. It's not like mm-hmm. I live in Seattle where you get to like drive up to Snoqualmie Pass to go skiing every day. Like, I mean, I'm 15 minutes from Bridger Bowl, you know, 15 minutes from like the little Mount Isles Academy ski hill. That's like a great ski mo training hill. Um, when I'm in Cook, obviously, you know, it's like we tour from the house you know, biking from the front yard. So all these things are really accessible from like a location perspective. And then, you know, my schedule just, I mean, in all honesty, like COVID sort of exacerbated it to some extent, but like, I mean, I'm pretty introverted outside. I mean, I guess people would maybe think not because of what I do for work, but I really just like a lot of alone time in the mountains. Um, and so to have this be something that I focused on was like, I don't know, just, it just fit. And, you know, I like these weird, like, I mean, I'm a numbers guy. So I think like seeing this number of like, okay, do, and I set sort of like initial like targets each week or daily and just like kept a little spreadsheet. And it was just sort of like this weird little numbers game. And it was like numbers game alongside like long fun days in the mountains. Yeah. And it just added up to be like something that made sense for me. I think the past history of like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a professional cyclist I mean, I was on a professional-ish amateur elite team or whatever but like I had that training background where I have like you know years of endurance sort of base but this was pretty different from that to be honest because it wasn't targeted you know you're not like staring at your power meter or your heart rate you're just sort of like chugging along each day just seeing how you feel and you know going on the fly because you can't structurally train for something like this you just sort of have to go yeah it just sort of made sense I don't know why, uh, but you know, like my life is, you know, I mean, I have it pretty dialed where it's like, I have my toys, I have my, you know, stuff all lined up. Like I have good gear, you know, I'm not 22 years old, like scrapping together anymore. Like I have multiple ski setups of one, a binding breaks. So I can hop on the next one the next day. And if one bike needs to go in the shop, I can grab the other one and go out. Like, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to accumulate those things. And so it just sort of like, 
flowed. I mean, I definitely, the bike shop was sort of funny. I'd like drop one bike off one day and three days later, pick up the next one that they had fixed up or done something too. And then three days later, drop off the next one, you know, they were just laughing at it, you know, but it, it all worked. You know, I had the support system with Chelsea, with the gear and the bike shop and the skis and it just all sort of fell together. But, but it, it's not like I went in with this big plan. It just sort of like all happened on the fly, which yeah, just sort of worked out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at some point, you know, you, you might not have had a, a plan, but you, you sort of knew the end number. And at the very least we're able to divide by 365 to understand, like, I got to at least get this many vertical feet in a given day um, and start there and then, you know, I know I saw you early, somewhat early in the year, as I recall, and, you know, you were ahead of schedule. You had banked some miles as, as you sort of, or some vert, as you thought about this, were you thinking like, you know, I really got to pound it early season, or this is a time on the bike where I really have to bank some feet or, you know, thinking, like I noticed your, your fall, like you really, you know, really nailed Bridger Bowl on your schemo setup for a, a big block so how are you thinking about you know, like once you got into it enough to know kind of what your body could do and not do on a given day? Like how did you kind of approach it tactically, if that makes sense? Yeah, well, I mean, started off early was like just staying onto this fifty five hundred foot a day target, and that was pretty realistic. Like on you know fun skis around Cook, and then some occasional schema workouts and schema races, and then and then in March, you know, in April, well, March Bridger shut down because of COVID and. So there's a lot of days where I could go up there and like ski in the morning and then come back downtown and I was like, oh, okay, work a little bit. And then, you know, it's light out till later. And it's like, oh, I could go for a quick little bike ride after work and get a couple extra K or bird on my bike. And I started stacking, honestly, because I was worried about getting COVID. Like, I was like, what if I get COVID and take a month off, <laughs> which sounds really stupid, but like, that's just in my head. I'm like, I need to get a month ahead. And then, you know, it just kept stacking. And then I was like, oh, I didn't. I haven't gotten COVID and man, like I live a life in that I can probably not get that if I'm careful. And so I became like militant about COVID precautions, like for my own health and just, you know, the greater good, right? Like everyone was doing and, and just kept stacking. I'm like, man, if I'm just out in the mountains, if I'm not working and I'm not at home with, you know, doing house things, I could just be out in the woods on my mountain bike around skis and I won't get COVID and I'm going to have a really fun time. <laughs> And then it just kept going. Um, and I definitely like staggered it. Like it was ski and then it was ski and bike combo. And then it was like all bike, which it was hard to do that amount of vert on bike. So definitely like I had to sort of meter that out a little yeah. more. <laughs> um, and then it became in the fall. It was like this beautiful window again of like a combo of bike and ski. And then I sort of, yeah, I banked a lot of vert in December early at Bridger because I, I really wanted to, make sure that I could enjoy like Christmas to New Year's with, with Chelsea and Cook City and not be like having to bang out huge days at the end, you know, like when the daylight's short and like she was on her holiday break and I just wanted to, you know, push away that selfishness aspect and be like, stack it ahead. So yeah, I did like two weeks of like 10K days-ish, just nailing them uh, at Bridger on ski muskies, which people thought I was nuts, but I was I was actually having a ton of fun. It was like, ripping early season groomers on like these tiny little skinny skis and they were light. And it was just like, I could do like laps and friends would join in and like do two or three with me and then go back to work and you know, or whatever. Um, and it just, 
I don't know. It just like kept being so fun. Like I, I just, it just kept stacking on itself. At what stage did you make the decision to kind of go for two and a half million? Like what stage did you think that was possible? And what kind talk us through that decision? Yeah. So I think it was in April when I was doing all these days at Bridger and like getting some bike rides in the afternoon. I was like, wow, I'm stacked a month ahead almost. And if I don't get sick or don't injure, get injured, I could like go bigger. And I remember reading about this um, guy, Aaron Rice, that had done two and a half million. And granted, these guys all did it just on ski. So it's sort of like a different record in a way. Like, but I was like, man, I could bet I could do just human power vertical, like exceed what Aaron Rice did. And that'd be pretty neat, you know? And, and again, I'm a numbers guy. So like, I mean, I'm a sales guy, right? So it's like, you give me this target. It's like a stretch goal versus just the regular goal. You're still going to try to, it's like, oh, well, if I go for the stretch goal, I'll definitely hit the first goal. <laughs> so then it just like mm-hmm. snowballed. And I think if at any point I wasn't having fun with it, like I probably would have just been like, you know, I set up for two mil, that's fine. But it just kept being fun, I guess. And like, I mean, there were a couple of days here and there where it felt like I was just stacking bird or something, but or rushed, squeezing it between work meetings and emails and just life. But um, I don't know. Overall, it was just like 90% plus percent. It was so much fun that I just wanted to just sort of keep it going. And it felt like a fun little extra yeah, stretch goal and just kept pushing. So, and I was learning a lot too, like just out there, like I guess a lot of time in my head, but also just like listen to podcasts and listen to the news and thinking a lot. And it just felt like this year in particular, like having some time alone in the woods to think a lot, just like seemed extra important. A new angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Raging wildfires have scorched a record number of the acres and killed at least to climb from people. those devastating wildfires. Last year, wildfires scorched a landmass nearly five times the size of Yellowstone National Park. It was the largest area burned since reliable records began. Fires are getting bigger and hotter and more devastating than ever before. But what all that fire means and what to do about it depends on who you ask. The experience of a forest taking fire is really something. Not only a gift to us, but it's more more of a gift to the land. There will always be fear of fire, I, I know that, and I don't pretend there won't be, but in certain situations, there shouldn't be. I'm Justin Angle, and for the last couple years, I've been talking to scientists, historians, and firefighters themselves to hear their stories. You owe it to the guys that died. I wanted to figure out, how did we get here? We're going to knock fire out of the landscape. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. It was a crazy ambition. And where do we go? It just, knowledge is, is freaking power. I'll talk about it in a calm way, but this is me hitting the panic button. Am I making any difference here with the science? <laughs> That's what I wonder sometimes. This is Fireline, a six-part podcast series from Montana Public Radio and the University of Montana College of Business about what wildfire means for the West, our planet, and our way of life. Hi, 
Hi, this is Joe Anderson. I am the CEO of Reflex Protect, and you're listening to A New Angle. The way our world was, like, it was like, it felt so weird in the regular scheme of like, just everything going on with COVID and, you know, all the, obviously the political stuff and then the social justice stuff. And like, everything just felt like the world was falling apart. And I'm like, you know, I can go for this huge record and like control one little part of the world that can be just awesome right now for me. And it's not changing the bigger picture other than maybe some people are, you know, following it and like getting motivation to go outside more of themselves, which actually became this like secondary awesome goal at the end that I didn't realize was there, but then became this awesome thing. Yeah. So it just sort of felt right <laughs> when everything else felt wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and, you know, you probably were able to kind of like, it's an escape in some ways. You can, you can focus your energy on something you can control and make sense of, but also, you know, it allows you to sort of get away from a lot of those you're not running away from reality, really, but you're also able to sort of maybe take reality and temper the speed of the news cycle and the intensity of it with a little bit of meaning um, in the hills as you like to spend so much time there. Yeah. I mean, it was one day was actually sort of funny that popped into my head was um, it was election day and like Patagonia was a paid holiday, which is awesome. Um, and obviously Montana, you can, I like doing the absentee ballot just because I, like to get online and research everyone and like take time to do it. I don't like the rush of going to the polls. So I, I voted, I voted two weeks before. And so it was funny how that day, like it was like this weird cycle of weather where like all the Malmike trails were dry again, which doesn't happen in Bozeman, but this local like fun, just sort of not flow, sort of flow trail called Leverage Canyon was like in, and I was like, Oh man, that'd be fun. And I just started lapping it. And I was like, man, I'm just going to stay out here and lap till dark because you know what? Like someone in some, you know, someone in some town is like literally sitting outside waiting to vote right now for probably as long as I'm going to be out here riding my bike. Like that my company is paying me to have the day off. I already voted. So I'm sort of getting paid to ride my bike today. Like this is awesome, you know? And like, it was just this, and I'm like, and it also kept me away from the news all day. Right. Which was like a really good thing too, because it was like this super emotional day because i would had a relative just passed and and then that it was like just a magic day and like there was just something about that amongst everything else going on that just again just felt right and just kept me motivated yeah talk a little bit about your your job i mean listeners will recall we had alan on the podcast i don't know a couple of years ago or he talked about your work for patagonia but you know your job went through some ups and downs this year you know it's, furlough and, and, and so forth, like talk about, you know, job, job security, and then the flexibility of you in a sales role that allows you to kind of work your schedule around uh, some of your athletic objectives. Um, how did the job line out both in terms of its strengths and weaknesses to help this project along? You know, first, obviously the flexibility of the job is, is very magical for, you know, having some room to alter this day's schedule. I mean, I'm one of those people that I love just doing emails like in the morning with coffee. So it's like, a lot of times I'll work two or three hours starting at like 6 a.m. So that flexibility to be like, okay, I'm going to work two or three hours in the morning and then go do something and then come back and work, you know, another three or four hours and then go do something and come back and work another one or two and like split up the day, you know, really 
helped. And, you know, I cover my account basis involves Alaska and those folks are on a two, two hours behind me time zone wise. So it does help to like sort of bookend my day where I'm available for some of their stuff later in the day. So schedule wise, it's awesome. Then the furlough piece was interesting. I mean, as we sort of discussed, you know, like Patagonia was, we had two months where our website was basically shut down and a bunch of the reps had to go on furlough. And it was like, you know, we were one of the departments that got the least hit just because, you know, obviously the sales guys are turning numbers, which helps get the company back on its foot. But there was thoughts that it was funny that my region would have no one here because no one would fly, you know, no one from New York was going to fly to Yellowstone to do their vacation. So my accounts would basically be dead. It turned out that that was the opposite. Everyone came here <laughs> and my accounts were super busy. And so, you know, quickly into the whole furlough thing, they're like, oh man, like we put the wrong people on furlough. <laughs> so like, I, it was a set time frame where like, it was like, oh, you're coming back on this date. So that's, there wasn't this stress of like, oh, I don't have a job. It was more just hitting a pause button, which was hard. I love my job and I love my accounts I work with. And I definitely was still answering, you know, doing things on my Gmail account because we weren't allowed to use our Patagonia address. And I was still feeling texts and phone calls on the side and, you know, trying to keep it minimal because obviously like I wasn't supposed to be working in quotes, but, you know, still kept that rolling as best I could. And yeah, I mean, that was a, definitely also hard too, just because like I felt this, like my dealers were in the trenches, you know, working through COVID and I was like on vacation getting paid, you know, sort of like Patagonia is very helpful in terms of making sure we were compensated, like in addition to the unemployment slash Donnie dollar extra bonus, whatever. So they like paid our sick time to cover it. So it's not like, like I had no financial hit, you know? So it was just, that's what they're telling me to do. So when that's what you're told to do. You just, I guess, embrace it, you know? So I embraced it the best way I could. Like I just went out and did something fun and, you know, <laughs> made, I guess, yeah, made, made uh, some lemonade out of that. So, but yeah, it was, there was some stress there and the company was, you know, there's a lot of stress because I think, Basically, you know, it was like we were preparing for sort of like economic meltdown, right? And then it didn't really happen with the kind of sports and activities that Patagonia serves. And I don't mean that lightly. I mean, like I would say, I recognize a lot of people did have financial impacts, you know, across the obviously the economy of the US. But like for Patagonia, it was like people were going to recreate, they're getting outside. So like the demand for our product is high. Our retailers are busy and they were, man, I mean, they all were fried, you know, cause they're, you know, especially in my zone, like they're telling people to wear masks that don't want to wear masks cause they're, you know, they live in Wyoming and they don't feel they need to and, or whatever. It was just, um, you could feel how stressed and how hard it was for some people, but as a company, we were doing well in a way we were just limited, honestly, by like supply chain and transportation issues and other sort of limiters, you know, those of us that were sort of told we were going to be able to come back or brought back on the date we were told and life continued on but the job is very different like I, i'm not allowed to have people in my showroom I'm allowed to have i'm not allowed to go into the stores i mean i i do in my own time but like i can't go in and say i'm here on patagonia's behalf working i have to just like say i'm stopping in to look at something or buy something and like go say hi if i want to but like sure i'm actually told not to <laughs> technically because we don't want to, you know, have a Patagonian flea spread COVID, right? You know, I mean, that'd be awful. 
that's changed. Uh, obviously, a lot of Zoom calls and remote meetings and remote line showings, and it's a uh, it's a very different job right now. Uh, but that's I think what everyone's dealing with to some extent, you know. So I'd say it's it's hard for me because uh, I'm not a technology driven person. I'm more of a face to face or person. So it's been a challenge, but one that's you know manageable, and it's also given me a lot more free time which helped the help the vert <laughs> so sure yeah i mean that the, there's sort of costs and benefits and i would suppose with an endeavor like the vert project like you got to take any window of opportunity you have to seize it you know so whether it's the furlough whether it's hey you know i can't go into shops i can't quite travel as much wh- whatever it is you got to look at that as an opportunity to to get some vert in the bank or you know or just take take advantage right yeah, I mean, time became the biggest thing with this. Like, your body is smart enough to adapt. And I mean, you're an athlete, you know that, you know, your body just, it's like, hey, this is what we're doing. Then just make it happen. <laughs> and, uh, and physically, it's like, yeah, it's not that hard. I mean, it's not that hard. It's, it's the mental and the time and creating the time and, and then knowing that you have people around you that you can enjoy that time with too, you know, versus like everyone around me was like into reading and painting and, something else like it would be different right but most of my friends are like oh yeah like we can't go to dinner let's go on a mountain bike ride let's go ski touring you know like that's just what we do anyway so but yeah time is like the biggest thing right it's like oh two hours okay i'll just go bang on a quick ride from the house you know or whatever it was like i was just filling that time and and definitely limiting and thinking about like okay i'll do this one errand today and then Chelsea and I would share like the list of errands. I'd be like, okay, I can do this one today and this other one tomorrow, but I can't do both, you know? So time became a, definitely a hot commodity. (laughs) Yeah. The time management piece, you got to be a big challenge. You're thinking about like, oh man, I got so many questions about like what your body went through. I mean, I saw you, I guess, early summer and of course you looked lean, but you know, you sort of look like, you were in the flow and um was there any changes your body went through other than like the the sort of metabolic just being up all the time like how did you know sleep all these things like how how did the body deal with it i definitely had to sleep a lot i was definitely getting eight to nine hours a night sometimes 10 and then yeah eating anything in front of me um you know, I jokingly, there was one coffee shop that I felt was like doing a good job with COVID precautions. And, uh, like literally I would go in and anything half, anything in the day old half price bucket was like, just like into my hands. <laughs> but you know, like, I mean, I definitely, I lost a lot of weight at first and it actually scared me. Cause I was like, Oh, I know if I get below X, I'm going to get sick. So I like just checked that right away. I was like, okay, start feeding. And I just didn't, I didn't really, I underestimate how much I had to eat. But then I got that back on track and got to like my sort of healthy weight and felt really good with once I settled that back in, it was like, could just sort of stick it there. And I was like keeping an eye on that. Like, and if I ever started the dip, I would like really follow, you know, like just eat more, you know, Chelsea and I are pretty good about eating healthy, you know, I mean, a lot of sort of just veggies and, you know, simple meat and a lot of car, like we, we eat a good balanced diet. Uh, but definitely stacking a lot of carbs, just like in treats would, would I do like, just like when you're out on the bike, like, you know, whatever cookies, banana bread, Kate's bars, I wasn't bringing like 
you know, just like goos and gels, like that stuff was not going to be appetizing for this long a project. So yeah. So like, it just sort of like stay on top of the eating, the sleeping recovery drink. Like I never thought that mattered. I was like, ah, it's a joke. It's just something some nutrition company is trying to sell you. But like, if I missed my little like weird recovery drink that I was like working with, I would literally feel like garbage the next day. That was always just something I prepped in the morning. Like this first endurance brand optogen like recovery drink it was like chelsea had read the ingredient she's like that's gold right there it's got the right amount of this and that and i'm like okay and so i just started taking that with me every day but other than that like your body just sort of like gets into the rhythm of something and i think that's what kept surprising me because like i remember like you know one of your other podcast uh frequent uh guys uh you know like foot kept checking in on me like how you doing how you doing and i kept being like dude i'm waiting for the wheels to fall off and they're not falling off and that kept surprising me because i was waiting for them to fall off and they and honestly i expected them to and it just wasn't and so i don't know it was just like a special sauce of like not going hard i think too helped you know like when a buddy wants to come out and hammer i was like dude that's not me I can't just hammer up the hill with you at zone four all day. Like, you know, like we got to have conversational pace because <laughs> I'm doing this tomorrow yep. and the next day and the next yep, day. Yep, exactly. Um, I became a slave to like, like on my road bike, well, that open that I have that you also have. Um, I have a power meter on there. I was like, okay, keep it in this, you know, and I would go to, I did a couple races and some things here and there, but like really dialing it back and, and again, COVID helped because there was no, you know, there was a couple races that were run, but like they were super low key, like nothing intense. So that made it easier, I think, to just have like this, like more long haul, steady kind of summer of fun <laughs> and winter of fun. Yeah. I mean, those events can consume a lot of mental and physical energy. Just the intensity of racing can have sort of an outsized effect to the time spent in those in those intensity zones and uh yeah not having those things i mean i could see how those things could be motivating because they'd be like signposts along the way and things to sort of build your efforts around but at the same time they come with a cost as far as the sustainability of the daily effort yeah and i think yeah the mental aspect is huge right like i mean i think you know i mean i was stacking a lot into life right like a lot of hours and like if you're focused on you know your friends and your partner and work and you know and then this project like to add in traveling to a race or thinking about a race it's like and the prep to make sure your gears dialed and it's like and i don't have to do that like this is actually a lot easier you know the covid cancel happened it was like oh this is so much easier i can just like just adventure every day which you know, and I mean, I love racing, so it's not like I wouldn't, you know, I'm excited that some of those things are going to happen maybe in 2001, 21 or 22, but, you know, it, for a year to just like go adventure more and have that be the norm, it was, it actually worked out really well. Well, Alan, as we close here, what would you say to somebody listening to this, just thinking, oh my God, I don't believe this guy was able to do this or Maybe they're kind of mulling around some sort of a goal that feels audacious that they haven't been willing to really, you know, think about the reality of, yeah, what piece of advice would you have to somebody who, um, you know, hears this and is a little bit inspired and, and maybe needs to take the courage to 
to think about a goal like this? Well, I think it's like any goal, whether it's, you know, it's work, life-based, anything like you have to, if you just look at it as like one big number or one big thing, it's daunting, right? But if you split it up into chunks, like bite-sized chunks, which for me was like sort of like looking at a week at a time, then you just chip away at it. And it becomes like this little bite-sized thing that you're just doing every day and you're stacking it up. And, I, you know, I've, I think about like, let's say someone's like wants to go climb Everest. You're going to start by, you know, if you live in a city, you're like, okay, I'm going to go climb stairs every day to get fit for this. I'm going to, you know, go travel somewhere where I can go hiking and go on big adventures. Like you just, you chip away at whatever it is you have near you to like prep yourself for something like this. So it's stacking those little bits and pieces at a time. I mean, I think to me, that was like the biggest thing I learned is like, don't look at the big number, just like stack away, you know, chip away at it. But also just recognizing that your body and your mind are like always way stronger than you give them credit for. Like, you know, one thing I sort of felt a lot was like, if I looked outside one day and it was cloudy and gross out, it's like, okay, that's what I'm seeing. But like, it's actually what I say it is to me. Like if I want to go out in this and I put on the right clothes and like have the right attitude, it's actually not gross out. It's actually something beautiful. Like there's something in that cloud or in that, you know, in the woods that's happening right now, that's beautiful. And like, if you just continually push yourself out the door with that mentality, whether, no matter what it is, whether it's a work project or something else, like it is what you say it is to yourself. It's a good day. It's a bad day. It's a cloudy day. It's a sunny day. Like those things are as much in your head as that are in the physical. Right. And I think that's, for me, one of the lessons now that like everything else now seems even work stuff and like other projects I'm working on all seem smaller because it's just how I look at them. So I just think it's a lot of mental adaptation um, and the physical will just follow if you're doing the right things for me, at least. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great wisdom, Alan. Congratulations on, on the accomplishment, the record, and just all the, the, the learning. And I really appreciate you sharing the story with us today. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift of UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business, with additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors and Drum Coffee. AJ Williams is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about it. Thanks a lot. See you next time.